Time and again, the world bears witness to truths seldom said. Lend an ear. We promise enlightened, informed conversation. My name is Robert, and this is Seldom Said, the place where conversation matters. Welcome back. The program is Seldom Said. My name is Robert. This is the place where conversation matters. Special return guest. It's rather unusual for us to have a guest back, but sometimes people say things that are so imperative that it's worthwhile exploring them further. Our guest today is Patricia Winskunis, founder CEO of Crime Survivors, a voice for the homeless and the voiceless, those people out there who have no one to listen to and no one to listen for. Welcome, Patricia, to Seldom Said. Hi. Thank you so very much for having me back. Our pleasure, I can assure you. I wonder if we could start with a little bit of personal story, a little bit of background for those who have not heard the last interview and your activity since our last conversation. Sure, absolutely. Um, I am a survivor of attempted murder. Um, my personal trainer came into my house, drugged me, wrapped my face um, in saran wrap, beat me black and blue, screaming that he was going to kill me and my son. And I never would have ever thought someone would want to take my life, but I feel very blessed and gifted. Um, I feel that with faith there is hope, and God has given me a purpose and a passion and a gift to be able to live this life to the fullest by living for community above self and helping others that are in need, um, victims and families of families of murder, survivors of attempted murder, rape, domestic violence, sexual assault, child abuse, elder abuse, and human trafficking. Um, I've been able to start an organization with a great team um, in place, uh, Crime Survivors, and we work in our communities to be able to be a voice for the voiceless. I would wonder, the thought comes to mind that when we've spoken, you've often mentioned spirituality. You just used the phrase, God gave me this path. Were you as spiritual and visual before the tragedy occurred? I believe that I've always had it within my heart and my soul from a very young age. I learned to turn to prayer and reflection and to be guided through peace and love. Um, and I think it's what got me through a lot of traumas and tragedies and ups and downs and failures and battles in life and good, bad, and the ugly. Um, I think that um, with faith, like I said, there is hope, and I think... I, I never can understand how anybody could get through life without God or or having some spiritual higher power or something. Um, I know for me, it's, it's in my entire being. Um, it's what I turn to when I'm happy. It's, I turn to Him when I'm sad. Um, I turn to Him for, for love and guidance and acceptance in this life. There remains that marvelous quote, Forgive your enemies, but remember their names. Have you reconciled yourself to the personality who assaulted you? I have forgiven him. Um, I'm sure he probably is not aware of that. And I, I do believe that one of the biggest struggles that we have is that people put forgiveness and forgetting in the same bucket, and they do not belong together. I will never forget what happened to me as a child, as a teenager, as a young woman, um, as an adult. Um I will never forget those things. But as a woman, um, as a community leader, a mother, a grandmother, I feel like faith should be first and foremost. And I believe that forgiveness allows me to live my life without anger, without fear, without resentment, without hatred. And it really has nothing to do with anybody else except for myself and God and faith. Many people who have had circumstance, particularly soldiers in war, have said they reached a kind of denouement, a reconciliation with self. This perhaps is an awkward question, and if it is intrusive, please uh, let me know. But was there a moment during this terrible event where you just reconciled to the event itself? Um, you know, it's... I don't know what you mean exactly by that, but do I, I think I, I'm a better person today because of what happened. And I, as much as I wish that it would have never happened, um, I wish I would never remember or be triggered as I am at different points in my life. That's 
comes to PTSD and anxiety and depression and all of that. Um, but I know that I'm a better person today because of it. Um, so I guess if that's an answer to your question, um, I don't know. I can appreciate your honesty. I have, for instance, personally never been to war. I've never been in a circumstance comparable to yours. I was just ruminating in my own mind. Uh, Audie Murphy, the most decorated veteran World War II, said that during a particular combat instance, he just was reconciled to a certain inevitability. He fought. He wanted to survive. But there was this understanding of what was going on and that's both a frightening idea and a, a strangely interesting idea. I wonder if you can relate to that at all or whether we should move on. Can you give me a little bit more information about what you mean by that? Or Certainly, certainly. An individual on the battlefield, I'm thinking of a poem Walt Whitman wrote, shot seven times, waiting there, his foe approaching, knowing that he is going to do his best, but knowing that this might be the last line on the last page of his last chapter and wondering how he's going to put this to rest. I think for me at the moment, all I wanted to do was get to my son to save my son. I wasn't thinking about myself. Frankly, I didn't think about myself until about six months after everything happened. And I, I heard my son in the other room say, I wonder if my mom's ever going to be my mom again, because he was pretty much at 12 years old taking care of me. And that was a light bulb moment for me, because I, when I brought my son into this world, I made that choice to have him and deliver him. And I always said I would do my best to try to take care of him. So I think it was never about me. And, and frankly, even though I did make it about me by going to get counseling and therapy and turning to help and support, still to this day, it's not about me. It's about God gave me a gift. I truly believe that. First and foremost, he gave me my son 29 years ago, which I felt was the greatest gift. And that's why I called him Nathaniel, because that is the greatest gift. Um, but I believe having another chance and each and every breath is such a blessing. So it's not about Patricia Winskunis. It's about a victim out there that's dealing with trauma and tragedy. And how do we help that person to know that you are God's child and that you are of value and that you have a purpose here in this life and that you don't have to live defined by the trauma or the crime or what happened? That response, Patricia, and your acceptance of the question as posited says a great deal to me, and I'm assuming the listening audience, you walk a high road, strong individual who kind of bathes in goodness. That's nice to hear. So sorry for the circumstance. I think we all can embrace that. But perhaps in a sense, although it's difficult for me as just an objective observer to listen Difficult for me to accept that a person is better for a circumstance so tragic. In your case, it seems to have been the case. You've touched a lot of lives and people are worthwhile because you pass by. Do you feel that personal gratitude every day? I don't feel uh, anything. I don't think I'm anything special. I don't think I'm anything different than any other being. Um, I don't. I don't have that about me. I feel like whether you're the president of the United States, whether you're a priest or a pastor or a minister, or whether you're some homeless person on the street, I feel we all put our pants on the same way. We were all came into this world bare naked. We're all going out bare naked, and we just are trying to make the best of this life. So I, I don't think I'm any different than anybody else out there. So you feel in point of fact anyone could have done what you've done? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I do think, why am I so resilient when I see other victims that sit in front of me that I talk to that struggle 10, 15, 20, 30 years later, or some victims that can't get out of bed, and sometimes I wonder, why am I so resilient in my life? And then I stop myself and say, because God gives us all a different gift. We have to be able to accept it. 
and I'm I've accepted it. When he called me, I answered the call. That's how I feel. The American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York City has a, I believe, 500 question posit that they give to incoming students. We can't obviously do all 500 questions in one hour, but the last one is rather pertinent. The question as presented is, when you enter the pearly gates, how would you like God to welcome you? How would you answer that yourself? I hope he welcomes me. I mean, I don't want to go until I'm 105 because I feel like I have too much work to do and I'm only going to turn 50 next month, uh, which I've looked forward to turning 50 since I've been 16, um, which is kind of interesting, but I just always thought 50 is going to be fabulous. Like you go through your tribulations, you go through your failures, you go through everything in life, and then you kind of know where you want to go. But I want to live to, I love, I'd love to live to 105, but if he chooses to take me tomorrow, that's okay too. And I just hope that I've been able to be forgiven for my sins, I, that I've been able to be forgiven for others. Um, and I just hope that he accepts me in heaven. That That's, to me, the ultimate gift in the end is to be able to, to be received and to be welcomed. As horticulturists say, a rose, which is the product of crossbreeding, is at its loveliest in its 50th year. So mm. if, you, if you will permit me to be a, a stone to your rose, we can continue. <laughs> Yes, that's fantastic. The Me Too movement. Uh, now, you hear so much about things that are pertinent to some of the things we've been talking about. I just recently, before this interview, was approached by someone who said that years back she had been accosted. She did not want to go into detail, but she said she'd hidden it. She tucked it away, but every now and again it comes forward. A sound, a smell, an event brings it back. Do you feel the Me Too movement has had a measurable level of success? You know, I I'm, I think it has had. It's had its good and its bad, I think, to be honest. But I think whenever you have a movement that comes out that can speak um, on a national level, and if makes if they make an impact to another human being coming forward to not live with the trauma... Um, behind closed doors, then to me that that gauge is success. Um, whether it's one person or five, it doesn't matter. At least if someone has been able to speak up and share their trauma, their pain, their triggers to find hope, to find healing, um, then it's a success. Um, what does it look like moving forward? You know, I don't know. I think that throughout this nation, we are not a victim-friendly place. We're more of a offender rehabilitation friendly state. Um, it's all about, you know, people that have committed the crimes have now become the victims in the system. Um, and I think the victims, um, unfortunately, are secondary now and not even considered the victims. Um, and when you have perpetrators that are dangerous and that continue to violate and harm and hurt people, it goes within the Me Too movement. It goes in with our movement, every movement. A victim is a victim. A perpetrator is a perpetrator. Um, we need to have our elected officials, our legislators, step up and say, we need to balance the scales of justice. There need to be accountability. Um, we need to be able to have a system in our legal system that is also a justice system of which I feel that we do not have. I feel we have a legal system out of control. I feel people like the Me Too movement, nonprofits, government agencies, many are trying to do everything they can, but it's a battle, and it's a battle that I feel we're losing. Really? Uh, are you optimistic about the future of this fight that you're so important a part of? I, I, I mean, I'm hopeful. I will always have hope. I will have hope that it will come back around. I hope in my lifetime I see it. Um, but when you say, for instance, you know, they're throughout the nation, they've changed the, they're changing bail. They're taking away bail. You see the risk assessment, the algorithm, 
which I'm, I, I'm completely against. Um, I believe that we need to have public safety um, first and primary. I believe it's at risk throughout this nation in every state. Um, you talk about bail reform. Um, it's highly publicized everywhere out there. Um, you see all of these different laws in different states changing, um, all to be able to release criminals and, and to be able to bring them back with their family. But you see the victims not getting the same. Um, it feels like to us in the movement, that's why I say I'm a voice for the voiceless, because many victims are not even going forward to law enforcement because they're not feeling that there's justice. Um, you see perpetrators that are calling themselves victims of the system. Therefore, people like myself in this movement were struggling because we can't find enough of funding to offer the true victims milk for their babies or counseling and therapy because all the money is going towards the other side. And I'm not saying take it away because we have a homeless problem throughout this nation as well, of which when you start sending people out of prison, you don't set bail into place, you don't set other things into place, they get thrown out on the street, they don't know how to function. So I'm just saying balance the scales of justice, give hope and a voice to victims, give healing to the victims, and come together as a nation to say, we need to come back to what I feel we're missing the most in this nation. With all respect to everybody, I feel like we have gotten too far away from God. We've gotten too far away from faith. We've gotten too far away from family. We've gotten too far away from respect um, to disagree um, with dignity, showing to another human being. And I think if we brought back more of that, we would be a healthier and happier place. I'm wondering, Patricia, if it goes even deeper I know that recently I walked through Central Park. There is statue after statue of men. And one particular individual looked at a statue, I believe, of Peter Stuyvesant and said, oh, he was a great man. And then there's a statue of a Disney character, perhaps Cinderella, as I remember it. And someone said, that's nice. So an entire park, there are only two statues that relate to women, and they relate to phantasmagorical images of what a woman is, do you feel there's there's an acceptance of women as human beings on an equivalent level with men? So that's a trick question. Um, You know, you also talk about that movement today where women feel that they want to be equal to men, right? They want to be treated equally. Um, They want to play football. They want to be president. They want to go to work. We want to do all of the equal, right? And, you know, I'm a woman, and I have mixed feelings about it, you know? Um, I think we are. I mean, it it just goes back, and if you read the Bible, you look through that, you see, you know, it's just, it's a challenge. It's a very tricky thing for me to, a question to answer, because I am a woman that I want to be able to be paid equally to a man, um, but I want to be able to be held to the same standard to do the same work that a man does. If a man can do more than I can do, then he should be paid more than I. If I can stay, if I can go into uh, a football field and play football equally to a man, then I should be paid equally to him. But are women treated with respect and dignity um, or allowed to be able to speak or say the same things equally as a man? I don't think so. And I don't think that men, I think men get um, put into a box that they're supposed to be a certain way, um, and I don't think they get enough for credit either. Do you feel that there should be a measure of liberation on both sides? It seems as if it's incredibly difficult to be an adolescent and male or female. I don't know how we got to the place that we are today. Um, I think I I feel like we as a nation, um, humanity is lost. Um, I think that we are teaching children things that we 
I would have never thought that I would have been taught as a child. Um, I think we have social media that can be a great added tool, um, and I think it can be a very bad thing. Um, technology has come into play. It, it's an amazing thing, but it's also, I think, causing a lot of harm as well. Um, so I don't think we can go back in time but I think we can move forward and we all have a choice. I have a choice to be able to say, I want God in my life, in my heart, in my soul. I have a choice if I didn't want to, but I'm choosing to have that. I have a choice to live with hatred, anger, fear, or resentment, or I have a choice to live with peace and love and happiness, as corny as that may sound to people. Um, I have a choice to get out of bed every day, as hard as it is some days, to go to work, but I choose to do that. I think we all have a choice to make, um, and some people choose to feel that they live higher standards and they live better than somebody else because of the money that they have in the bank, because of the home that they live in, because of the title or the letters that come next to their name. Um, but I, again, as when we first started this conversation, I don't think anybody's better than anybody else, and nor do I, I, I ever want to live in that space. Many service people come back from conflict and suffer, after a certain amount of time, PTSD, kind of emotional trauma. Is there a way to deal with post-trauma humiliation, something that happens not on a battlefield but in an apartment, on the street, something that involves an assault? I can see a person saying, I broke my arm, said it. How do I set my mind straight? Now, I know that there's the element of spirituality to that, but when you counsel a person who comes to you, what are the first words you say? Well, for me, I don't, I'm not a therapist, so I can't counsel people. I can just give them, you know, I can be a survivor here and a, and a leader of our organization to be able to listen to he hear them. And I think there's a big difference to, when you listen to someone compared to whether you hear them. Um, and I want to hear them. I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about them. Um, I know personally myself, when you're a survivor, you can be shamed and blamed and guilted, which sometimes can be worse than the crime that actually happened to you. Um, when you have loved ones and family and friends that just want you to go back to who you were, of which you'll never go back to that same person. It doesn't mean that that has to be a bad thing. You can actually be a better person in your life um, through it if you get the correct counseling and therapy and healing and support team put into place. You know, I have always said that I hope in my lifetime that I could turn on a TV or a radio or a blog or anything and not witness people saying, oh, she was raped. Was she wearing a short skirt or showing a lot of cleavage or wearing a lot of makeup? Oh, he was murdered. Was he in a bad neighborhood? Oh, that guy molested her. I can't believe he molested that child. He lived next to me for 20 years. He was such a wonderful man. Maybe instead we need to turn it on to the perpetrators, to the offenders, to the criminals, and be able to ask them, why did you hurt that child? Why did you kill that person? Um instead of blaming and shaming a victim of which was no fault of theirs. What is your reaction to the more generalized movement to rehabilitate criminals, even individuals who have committed atrocious acts? So I battle that and I have to ask God for uh, acceptance and forgiveness every day because I do believe in rehabilitation for all crimes, for all criminal activity with the exception of two. And that would be molestation of a child and murder under certain circumstances, the majority of circumstances. Um, I cannot come to a place within my heart and soul to be able to believe that someone that molests a baby, a two-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, that they could be rehabilitated. Um, I do not believe they should be bailed out of jail. I do not believe that they should be put out on the street. Um, I'm not saying they should be put to death. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying I don't think they should be within our communities. Um, everyone else, 
you know, you steal a, a case of beer or a TV or a car, um, and even many ma- majority of domestic violence cases, many other crimes. I mean, I believe in rehabilitation, but I believe that you have to give them the programs and the services and the support to be able to. And not everybody can be rehabilitated, and not everybody chooses to want to be rehabilitated. In certain segments of our society, parents feel compelled to have that talk with their children, how to react if they're on the street and so forth. Do you feel we've reached the point where we have to take innocence and introduce it to awareness? I, I absolutely agree. I think that, you know, when you look at students today in schools, they're learning about sex in kindergarten. And yet schools won't teach about molestation. Um, they Many programs were teaching our youth about drugs with D.A.R.E. programs. And some schools took it out because they said that they were bringing more awareness to the drugs of which the students were now wanting to try, which makes absolutely no sense. Um, there should be self-defense and safety classes in schools to teach children. Um, you know, I, I, where I grew up in Illinois, we used to worry about tornadoes and getting on our, our, our knees with our heads down and, and practice that, and yet they don't want to talk about the fact, the dirty secret about an uncle molesting a child. They don't want to talk about the fact that your father beat your mother because he was drunk and you were hiding in your closet while it was happening. We need to talk about the things, and it's sad. It's a sad reality that we need to teach a child at the young age that you could go to a hotel in Las Vegas and be at a concert with your parents and somebody could shoot out windows to kill innocent people. We don't want to teach that because we don't know what damage that is going to be to a child. But I can tell you the damage to a child that's molested, that damage is done and could be avoided. Do you feel that everyone who has suffered that kind of personal indignity, molestation, and so forth, should seek out professional counseling? I believe that counseling and therapy can change a life. I believe if you find the right therapist, right counselor, it can absolutely change the dynamic that you don't have to live a victim's life, of which I do feel living a victim's life versus a survivor's life versus a thriver's life is completely different. Um, I believe that many victims that are child victims end up being victimized in different ways throughout their life. Um, And I think that if you can break the cycles at a young age, it will change the dynamic um, incredibly. Now, if you don't want to go to a counselor or a therapist, I think there are many other avenues out there, Um, whether it's turning to your faith and your place of worship, um, first and foremost, turning to God so that he can guide you and help you and empower and strengthen your heart and your soul and your dignity. Um, But it's many different things, whether it's yoga or meditation or exercise or bath therapy or healthy eating or friendships, or life coaches, or someone in the community that can be a mentor and a guide to you. Um, Wherever you find that from, I believe that it is life-changing. If we then uh, deal with the issue (coughs) at its penultimate, then, Patricia, are you an acceptor of capital punishment as warranted on occasion? Uh, I have to seek forgiveness for this as well, because I know that we probably should not ever want to put a life to death, um, that we shouldn't take another life. Um, But I do believe at times um, it is warranted. Um, I believe that someone that brutally murders five people in a family um, you know, I, I 
I do believe in the death penalty on certain circumstances, and 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 it it bothers me uh, to even say that because I feel like, you know, that's something that we're not supposed to uh, feel or believe if we're as strong in our faith as I feel that I am. So I battle with that, to be honest and open about it, but I do believe in it, and I do believe in someone that causes such devastation in our communities. That's how I feel. I can certainly understand that. During the 60s, uh, looking back many years when I was rather young, there was a feeling that associations between ethnic groups, cultures, religions could not involve things as deep and imperative as adoption. The idea that a white family couldn't adopt a black child or vice versa. Do you feel that men and women have reached that point where it is very difficult for one gender to truly understand the other and the difficulties they're experiencing? I, I do. I mean, first and foremost, I mean, I, I don't think we should ever be judged by the color of our skin, by our nationality, by our culture, by our, uh, by anything. I just, I don't, I don't see that. I don't feel that. But, I don't, I can't walk in the shoes of someone else that is a different shade or belief or level in a sense, even though I feel that we are at the same level and we are no different because we all have the same creator. Um, But I do think that we've taken some steps back, unfortunately, and I think that many people make it. a color thing, um, a religion thing, um, but I haven't walked in their shoes. So I can't say I know what it's like to be. I can only say I know what it's like to be me. And I know that sometimes it's very uncomfortable in the walk and the journey that I take. Um, And I think that people judge people. And I think that we shouldn't. We should be able to be who we are in our life, in our journey, and only answering and being dictated by one other person. Jermaine Greer, a vociferous spokesperson for feminist rights early on in the 60s, was once asked, does she like to have doors held, checks paid, cigarettes lit, and she said, that's only a reminder that you're making me less. How do you react mm-hmm. to that statement? I think that's pretty powerful. I don't, I don't need to have someone hold my door uh, if they would like to. I mean, I, I, I remember years back, um, I was holding a big, heavy box. And I was, going, I, was, I was opening the door myself and trying to battle to get through the door with the box. And there was a deputy standing in front of me and he came over to hold the door. And I'm like, no, no, it's okay. I don't need you to hold the door. And he's like, what part is wrong with this picture that you're struggling to get through a door, but you don't want me to hold the door as a man for you. And it was a powerful moment that taught me it's okay to have someone hold the door for me, but I don't need someone to hold the door for me. Interesting. could have someone get me a cup of coffee if I had an assistant, of which I hope someday to have. <laughs> but if, if I have an assistant, that assistant does not need to get me my coffee. Now, if they wanted to bring me a coffee because they were picking up a coffee for themselves, that's, that's nice. I can accept that. But I'd like, I am able to get my own coffee. I remember years ago, uh, I've been involved with... Uh, country education for most of my entire life, uh, collegially, seniors in high school. I remember years ago, a young lady raising her hand in a sociology class and saying, Sir, I'm wondering, we have the fall formal coming up, our prom. Should I wait to be asked for a kiss goodnight? And I'd use that every year, 50-some-odd years, to introduce a discussion. Most recently, there's laughter. There's the feeling, oh my gosh, how could you even ask something like that? Why not simply accept the fact? In point of fact, do you feel that 
decorum has gone out the window? I'm shocked to see what's happening and things that have gone out the window and things that have actually come into the window, to be honest. Um, When you think about, like what you said, asking for a kiss or something to that effect, right? Um, I think that those days, that also goes back to the women's movement, I guess, in today's climate where women are, you know, swiping left, I'm told, for a hookup, swiping right for a husband, doing this on this kind of stuff, which is shocking to me because I, I, I mean, I'm a single woman and I, I'm an old-fashioned person. I'd rather be single than to do those kind of things. Um, I think we've got, we need to get back to being courted and treat it with respect and dignity and allowing nature to take its course. Um, I think we've gotten away from respect and dignity. And one of the things that I think we've gotten far away from is agreeing to disagree with respect. Mm. Um, those days seem to have gone out the window because if you disagree with someone, either they don't want to be your friend anymore, they don't want to support you anymore, they get angry, they get frustrated. We, we all should be able to say what we want to say, agree to disagree, but be respectful of the other person. We don't have to agree. You have so much to say about so many pertinent issues, Patricia. Much of our politics today seems like an argument uh, between middle schoolers on a playground. Would you ever vouchsafe to step into the political arena and run for office? I get asked that a lot. Um, I've been... People try to convince me to to do that. Um, And at first I always say, no way, there's absolutely no way I'm going to do that. I cannot handle, frankly, the politics at the level that I'm at, which is no level at all in my mind. Um, So to get into politics and to witness the treatment and the behavior, and and frankly, I was was in Sacramento yesterday and to watch the entitlement um, and to... Uh, it, it's it's uncanny to me. It's it's sad. I think that I would be a phenomenal community leader. Um, I think I'm capable. I think I could make a great difference and an impact. And I think I could be an amazing leader. Um, but there's no way that I could deal with the politics of being in that arena. Dr. Martin Luther King often said he didn't want to be integrated into a burning house. Do you feel that there is a time to take to the streets, demonstrate? Yeah, I I am happy to go to the street anytime, and I always say I'm a bit of a squeaky wheel, and and I, I poke fun at myself saying that because I feel that I am a voice of the voiceless, and that's for victims of crime, and I have no problem going to the streets. I have no problem talking about our passion and our purpose and our gifts to be able to help people in our community, for community above self. But I also don't want to destroy my heart and my soul and my platform that I feel I can make a difference in on a grassroots level um, because I'm not sure. Sh- witnessed so many people that get into elected office that were so kind and genuine and giving and caring and compassionate. And then once they got elected, they forgot who they were. They forgot who was there with them when they needed them most. They've changed their core being. And I don't want to ever jeopardize my core being. I can say kudos to that feeling. How then would you incorporate some of your ideology, feelings, philosophy, ideas into a true academic curriculum? Can we teach respect and equality? Well, it starts with having a little bit of faith. Um, It starts with the home. Um, Unfortunately, you could teach your children as children, I think, Uh, decades ago, but I think today, even parents, the outside influences outweigh the parents. 
Um, I think that it has to be, it has to start from the core being. It has to start in the womb, I believe. You read to your child before it's born. You comfort the father of the child, comforts the mother, um, is there for the mother without leaving, um, without cheating, without harming, um, nurtures and cares for the mother and the unborn child. And then when that child is born, you treat that child with love and kindness and respect and dignity, and you share the core values in a home. You sit down for dinner. You pray at the table. You behave yourself in a store. Um, and then at school, I think you have teachers that are compassionate um, and that don't preach and practice their beliefs, but they teach and practice the core belief of kindness and love and dignity and faith and respect. And we get back to those values. We get back to playing board games. We get back to taking a car and going on a road trip. Um, we get time with family, and we take time for friends, and we take time for self. And I think we can change it. I think we can teach common dignity and love and forgiveness and respect. Do you feel that given a professional who wishes to go into education, it's more imperative and important to be understanding than to simply be academically proficient? The grade will be there, but the moment you spend each day is transient, it's ephemeral, it's gone. Do you feel we're overemphasizing academic achievement in schools at the expense of compassion? Absolutely, 100%. I think that that is one of the biggest problems today is, you know, you hear these kids that are committing suicide because they feel that they can't get an A. They can't get the scores that are being demanded upon them. They can't feel that they are smart enough um, as their parents or smart enough to the student that sits next to them. So they feel of a failure to where they take their own life. And how disappointing and sad is that? But what is that teaching us as a nation? It's teaching us that compassion is more important than a 4.0, in my opinion. That's my personal opinion. Um, we are told when we go apply for a job, if you don't have a master's degree, you can't get this job. If you don't have this degree or that degree, you can't get this job. You're getting paid more because you have an education. And you know what? Sometimes street smart, sometimes life failures, life experiences, uh, life compassion and acceptance can give you more than the person that has that degree, in my opinion. But we set all these boundaries and we set all these stipulations and we set all these requirements into place where a person doesn't have a chance. If a person like myself that has faith and love and forgiveness and happiness on a resume isn't going to get me the job. Do you feel then we should redefine the word intelligence? We are only as intelligent as our own inner achievement, our own compassion and guidance in this life, in this journey. So whether we define it or not, I, I don't know. I mean, am I, I, I always say to people, I may not be the most intelligent person, but I have common sense. And I think sometimes I'd rather have common sense than the intelligence. And what defines intelligence? Do we look it up? Do we Google what is intelligence? And if you're intelligent and I'm not intelligent by the definition, does that make you a better human being? Does that allow you to get into heaven over me? It would seem that uh, our mutual descriptions of an afterlife simply a place where no one asks any questions, where everyone isn't afraid to touch, and where compassion and love are part and parcel of each day's work. 
that would be a marvelous place to see both here and there. I look forward to that day, and I hope I'm accepted. And but I, but again, I want to be able to be very clear. I don't want that to happen until I'm 105. <laughs> <laughs> I shall tell you what. Uh, at our 90th birthday, we'll cooperate on buying a cake, on setting out so many candles that we become a fire hazard. <laughs> And we'll sing happy birthday repeatedly, I in a baritone voice, you in an alto. And off we go to the rest of our lives. That's, that's perfect. That's right. For the moments remaining, uh, one thing I did want to deal with, uh, it's a fascinating subject and a very necessary subject, the issue of Marcy's Law. Can you share with the listening audience, uh, perhaps who have not heard of it, its details, provisions, applicability, its proposals? Well, you know, first and foremost, I want to share about, you know, Marcy was an amazing young woman. Um, I did not know her, um, but I've heard story after story about who she is, what she represents, um, and she will never be forgotten. You know, there's a Marcy's Law, and it's being passed throughout state by state by state now, thanks to her brother, Dr. Henry T. Nicholas, that has put the money towards getting it passed in different states and people stepping up. Um, I also don't want anyone to ever forget her mother, Marcella Leach, of which was an amazing woman um, that I did get to know, that I was very close to, and that I feel still connected to, even though she's passed on several years ago. And she, what I feel, was an elder and a mentor before myself that made a complete difference within this movement for victims. Um, so I hope that people will never forget Marcella and Marcy um, and thank Dr. Henry T. Nicholas for all of his efforts and work for his sister um, to keep her legacy and her memory alive in order to make such a great difference and impact um, in the lives of all victims of crime and hopefully throughout this nation. Um, it's sad to think that victims didn't have rights um, and that they do have rights. And thankfully, they do have them. Unfortunately, even though we have Marcy's Law, the majority of victims have never heard of Marcy's Law. Um, the majority of victims are not getting their rights because they have to ask for them in order to get them. But we must remember that we have it, which is a huge achievement. And we have 17 rights in Marcy's Law here in the state of California, and in every state, I believe Marcy's Law is different, so I'm not sure how it's working in every other state, so I can't comment on that. Um, but I do believe that having the 17 rights here to be able to be treated with respect and dignity, I think that's sad that we have to put that in as the number one right, um, but victims should be. Victims' voices should be heard. They should have a right to a victim impact statement. They should have a right to restitution to, they'll never have closure, victims will never have closure, but they should have a right to be able to be protected through our system, to not have their address provided or given, to be able to have financial means paid back to them that they had out-of-pocket expenses. They should be able to attend court proceedings and hearings. They should be able to be a voice at the table, um, not just have the state make a decision whether or not guilty or not guilty, or should it go to a trial, or should it be a hearing, or should it be this, or should it be that. A victim should be able to participate, of which now in Marcy's Law they can. Families can attend parole hearings thanks now to Marcy's Law and not only get a one-year denial, but possibly a three- or five-year or longer denial. Um, victims should and families should not have to relive that over and over and over again. But when you see all these new laws that are taking place, releasing these people from prison, not having them to have bail, um, to have a computer system say whether or not they feel that they're a high risk or not, which is mind-boggling to me, it kind of throws out Marcy's Law and and that's what we need to fight for. We need to fight 
because we fought so hard to get Marcy's Law, we need to make sure that we can keep it and it can be that much stronger for victims, for public safety, for the community. Do you believe then, Patricia, that there should be pre-established sentences for gender offenses, or is punishment more dependent on individual variables, the instance, the time, the place, the person? You know, it's so hard because we've gotten so far away from law and justice, in my opinion. Um, Like I said, I don't feel that we have a justice system. I think we have a legal system that's out of control, and I don't know what's right. I know that our system is broken and that it needs to be repaired and fixed. I don't know who should be at the table. I think a lot of people should be at the table. Um, And I think we need to sit down and we need to have a talk. We need to have kind of a come-to-Jesus message to what are we going to do moving forward. Um, and what should be considered if someone is homeless, if someone is mentally ill, um, should they be treated differently? Should they be considered differently? Should there be a place for people to be held, um, maybe not as bad as it was decades ago, but should they be just incarcerated and then have our law enforcement have to learn how to deal with someone that's mentally ill or a drug addict? or whatever. So should there be different phases? Possibly. I just don't know what the answer or what it should be, but I do think it all starts by coming to the table together um, with different service providers, elected officials, um, government agencies, nonprofits, and victims and homeless and mentally ill at the table to be able to have their voice heard too. Do you feel that there is second-person responsibility? If I know as a parent, a neighbor, a friend, a passerby, that something is amiss, that something is about to occur, should I be held legally responsible? that's 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 another tough one because it depends on the situation and circumstance. If you know that your child is, causing harm to another human being or causing harm to themselves, I think you have a right and responsibility to speak up. Um, If you know that your neighbor is dealing drugs out of their house and you see youth coming in and out, I believe you have a right and responsibility to report it. Now, what should, where should the accountability lie if that person causes harm to another individual, I I don't know the answer to that. I think that needs to be discussed, and it could be different depending on the crime, depending on the situation or circumstance. But I think, I do believe that there should be some accountability. And, And I'll take it even further to one other level. I do believe that there should be accountability and consequence for someone that makes up a crime or lies about it. Um, it's one thing I always say for someone that is very slim, it's very rare that a Someone comes forward to say that I've been a victim of a crime, that they haven't. Um, But if they do, they should be held accountable. There should be some responsibility for them um, because, and I always say they should release them to my custody because they could come to me for six months and I can guarantee you they'll never say they were a victim of a crime if they weren't ever again. (laughs) I tend to believe that. (laughs) Yeah. Given the circumstances of our daily lives and the daily law, I'm often struck by the availability of dangerous weaponry. I must admit I'm not a lover of guns, but there are rational arguments being presented by people that they must be made available and it's a Second Amendment right and so forth. Do you feel that in point of fact, an individual who would have slapped a face or punched an individual, still doing wrong, hurting him physically, now has the opportunity to hurt them substantively because of the availability of weaponry? I believe in my Second Amendment right. It doesn't mean that I'm in love with guns or weapons or knives or automobiles or trains or any of that stuff, because I do believe that guns don't get up off of a table and shoot and kill people. I believe that people kill people. People harm people. I don't think that 
whether it's a choice of a gun or a car or an automobile or a train or a bomb or a knife or whatever that may be. Um, I, I believe in keeping our Second Amendment right intact and in place. Um, I believe in education and teaching people safety first and foremost. Um, I believe in protecting people's rights as well as allowing people safety techniques and tools to be able to protect yourself. Um, it's a struggle throughout this nation. It's a battle. It's one of the things that people can't seem to agree to disagree with respect on. Um, what the outcome is on the laws, um, I think, again, that's another topic that we come to the table and we work out together to find out what do we do? How do we do this? And why is it that throughout this nation we have so many people that these mass shootings? Um, why are people taking their automobiles and running them, running people down in crowds? And what should be the outcome? And what should be the accountability? And what should we teach our children to ensure those kind of things never happen? I do have to compliment you, Patricia, in that, as the poet said, the center must hold. You are very difficult to pigeonhole in any form, fashion, or way, which is a marvelously fine thing. Do you find yourself in the middle on issues? A liberal would say we can't have guns available. A conservative would say we have the right. Someone will say this, someone will say that. When there is a compromise for virtually every issue, Every single issue, somebody is going to agree to disagree with you, no matter what the situation or circumstance is. As someone said, you could have five $100 bills, and you could give five individuals each a $100 bill. And three of them are going to be grateful. Three of them are going to do great things with it. Um, three of them are just so happy about receiving a $100 bill. And two of them are going to find fault in me for giving them a $100 bill. They're going to find something to say negative about it. And yet, the dynamic is that you have to stay within your core and your integrity and your character and your belief on this journey and not waver because of two or because of the three or because of all five of them. You stand to your core belief and your being and you don't change who you are. And you trust that God is going to be able to guide you through those challenges no matter what the situation or circumstance is. Whether it's a $100 bill, whether it's abortion, whether it's guns, whether it's crime-related rehabilitation, whether it's bail or not bail, whatever it is, there is going to be a conversation. But stay true to your belief and try to keep the peace within the conversation. I must say you're a quite interesting guest, Patricia. You also are somewhat of a frustrating guest, and then I'm looking at the clock, and there are two minutes to go, and there are still many things we could talk about. Can you, in those two minutes, share with the listening audience how they might come in contact with you, how they might accede to some of your information and programs? Yes, and thank you so much for having me back on. I really enjoyed the conversation and being able to share with your listeners of hopefully um, will feel impacted and empowered and inspired and forgiving. And hopefully we'll go out into the world and be able to do something for someone else above themselves um, and to be kind and caring and loving to themselves as well. If you'd like to be able to reach us, our organization is Crime Survivors, crimesurvivors.org. Um, reach out to us. Find out more about our organization. We're always looking for help and support. You can also go to patriciawinskunas.com and find out more information if you're ever in need of a speaker or a presenter or facilitator or trainer, or if you ever just need a moment of faith and hope and guidance, I want you to call upon me because I will be here for you. In the few seconds we have left, uh, very difficult to in any way improve on those terms, but any final words? 
for a listener out there who is thinking about contacting you out of need. Remember that with faith there is hope and that you are not alone and that you are loved and validated and respected and appreciated and that I care about you and feel free to reach out to me anytime because we are all God's children. It has been uh, our pleasure, Patricia. Perhaps down the road, uh, when life improves and the skies are blue and, and the day is nice, we can do this again. No, thank you so very much. I really do appreciate it. Our guest was Patricia Winskunas, a very special individual. The program is seldom said. Be with us again next time. My name is Robert. Mm-hmm.